Monday, February 17th, 2020, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope everyone had a good week outside of podcast land. Last week, I got to take part in some pretty cool things. Um, one was my first ever think tank. Before this, I had no idea what you do in one. Uh, I used to think that you either had to be smart or rich to be in one, to which I am neither. Um, what it was about was something that kind of came up last week. You know, how can we better serve those veterans who come to VA on our digital channels? Sometimes I've had that difficulty myself. We get a comment on blogs.va.gov on one of the blogs for the podcast or or on social media. That is not crisis in nature, but it isn't routine either. You know, these comments do need more follow-up. You do want to help these veterans. Uh, but sometimes they're about a subject that I, as a, as a public affairs or media producer, know nothing about. So this think tank was how to give the public affairs and social media monitors tools, training, and processes to help over our 400 digital channels across the entire VA social media landscape to help those managers so they can help their veteran communities. In this tank, there were public affairs personnel, patient advocates, client services, national hotlines, and a vast majority of these employees were veterans or veteran spouses. They were all brought together to help solve this problem. And it was really a neat thing to see that all of those that I mentioned had the end user, the veteran in mind when trying to solve this issue. Literally, that's what I saw. And it's a great thing to see because they came from all over VA. And it's important because I've, I've been there, you know, I've been there. I've seen that comment that I don't know who to forward to in VA. And I cannot wait to see what some of the solutions are that come out of that tank. I was also on a panel talking to different government agencies about how to get the attention of veterans in the digital space. Other agencies like the Small Business Administration, who we will feature on an episode soon. All the three-letter services, FBI, CIA, FTC, FDA, Housing Urban Development, Department of Agriculture, FEMA, they all may want to get your attention because they have a grant for veterans or they want to recruit you or they may just want to make you aware of how you are getting targeted for a scam uh, like the USPIS uh, did a couple about a year ago. I had that as an episode. We as a team got to share some of the ways that we engage with our veteran audience. And I hope they reach you as well because there are other programs and other agencies within the government that are specific to veterans. And I'm also hopeful that that turns out to where we can actually collaborate with some of these agencies and, and get that information to you. I also had to put together a podcast this week. So we did have one review. It was a quick one. Five stars from Hot Rod 965 Podcast for all. Great podcast. Very informative. Uh, Hot Rod, thank you for that comment. Appreciate the look out there. Also noticed that we ended up on podcast charts in Ireland, Canada, and South Africa this week. If you're listening from those countries, welcome to the show. And remember, the more you rate and review, not only lets me know how we're doing as far as bringing you what you want, the ratings, the reviews, and the subs, give us a better chance to climb on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. algorithms, which in turn allows us to reach more veterans out in podcast land and gives them a chance to listen in and not hear only these great stories but the benefits breakdown episodes and the information provided in the news releases. About news releases, let's take a look. We got one this week. It says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs strengthens care and benefits for veterans with $243 billion budget request for fiscal year 2021. 
The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs has proposed a $243.3 billion budget for fiscal year 2021. The 10% increase from fiscal year 2020 will allow VA's continued commitment to provide veterans with high-quality health care and timely access to benefits and services. Some of the budget's highlights are to focus on some of the Secretary's top priorities, which were included in the state of VA from last episode. It includes $109.5 billion, which is a 14.1 increase in discretionary funding and resources for health care, benefits, and national cemeteries. Additionally, there's $133.8 billion, which is more than a 7% increase in mandatory funding for benefits programs, specifically compensation and pensions, readjustment benefits, housing, and insurance. A couple other things, $10.2 billion earmarked for mental health services, including $313 million for suicide prevention programs, which is a 32% increase from last year. Part of that funding will support the president's executive order, which is on the roadmap to empower veterans and end national tragedy of suicide, or otherwise known as the PREVENTS program. $626 million, a 9% increase for women's health care. Uh, $2.6 billion for the electronic health record modernization effort. And $221 million for transforming business systems, modernizing some of the systems within VA. $137 million earmarked for Blue Water Navy. $360 million allocated to VA national cemeteries. And $1.9 billion for VA's total construction program, to including funding to complete the American Lake and Long Beach projects. All right, this week's guest, we got a good one for you. She is an Air Force veteran who got my attention when she told a very passionate story about her grandfather. And let me back up on that. So growing up, I had a very close relationship with my grandfather. And if you're a frequent listener, you may have heard me talk about him on previous episodes as he passed away very shortly before I took this position at VA. My grandfather is the base letter who I am. He's the foundation. And you could say the same about this week's guest and her grandfather. However, her grandfather played a bigger part into what she's doing now. She is the CEO of Mutt Sauce. According to their website, it's an all-purpose sauce that you can put on anything. And our guest has built this company from, as CNBC put it, a $20,000 investment and one sheet of paper. And recently took it to where it launched on Amazon back in November. She is the recipient of a Bob Evans Hero Award CEO contest. And she even got some advice from FUBU and Shark Tank's Damon John. So without further ado, I bring to you Air Force veteran, Charlinda Scales. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while now, but I'm glad that I waited until after your Mighty Talk. And if you're listening to this episode right now, stop, go on YouTube and search Mighty Talk, Charlinda Scales, and you can find it. We'll wait, we'll wait. All right, we're going to give him enough time. Um, I'm glad I waited because I got to hear about your grandfather. And for me personally, it's been a little over a year since my grandfather passed away. Mm. He was 92. He was my neighbor growing up. Him, him and my grandma watched me right after school until my parents got home from work. And when my core household broke down personally, I had the honor and privilege to live with him my senior year right after yeah. my grandma passed. So when I heard your story, I, I really connected with it. My grandpa, John, was the most kind, honorable man that I will ever know. Mm. And his influence built the base layer of who I am. Still to this day, his wisdom influences a lot of the decisions I make. Yeah. Uh, so when you talked about your grandfather, man, I could not wait 
to get you on the podcast so you could share his story too. Can you share with us who your grandfather was and what he meant to you? Yes. Uh, my grandfather's name was Charlie Farrell Jr. He's a Tennessee country boy. He's also an Air Force veteran of Korea, Vietnam, the aircraft mechanic. And I actually grew up with him. It was a really quaint, small country house in Cookville, Tennessee with my grandparents, my mom, uh, my aunt, and her two sons. So you can imagine all of us piled into the house. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a happy extended family. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was all of us, but I think you know, growing up having your father figure be your grandfather is is and on top of that, a Korean Vietnam War veteran lends to a very unique childhood. Definitely, a lot of my my peers as I grew up, I could tell the difference in the way that we were raised, just having his influence. But I followed his footsteps by going into the Air Force. Even though we we're a four-generation military family, I could have chosen any branch, but he just made it sound so good. I, I wanted to try it out myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Talk to me about that first salute when you graduated Clemson. Oh, the silver dollar salute. It's a, you know, it's a really beautiful ceremony. It, it uh, is the transition from being the cadet to the airman. Uh, you're going from being an ROTC to active duty. And the first person to salute you is standing at the end of this trek. Like at Clemson, there's these stairs and you walk down the stairs and there's a mold of an a soldier, airman, uh, and you stand in between the two pieces of the mold and you come out, you take a left face and the first person to ever salute you is standing there. So you're actually supposed to have your college graduation before the commissioning ceremony. So the day before, my grandfather, he was really sick. He had lung cancer. And by that point, like, I think it was just all over his body, cancer. And mm. I was just hoping that he could make it. I really wanted him to do my silver dollar salute. But leading up to it, I was trying to, you know, gain the acceptance of he might not make it to, to do this. And yeah. even when we were making the trek down to South Carolina from Tennessee, it took a long time because we had to make frequent stops. It was really uncomfortable for him. He couldn't breathe very well. Mm. And he missed the he missed my college graduation, which I thought he's gonna miss my silver dollar salute too, because he was so sick the day of my college graduation we had to leave him at the hotel. Oh wow. Um I came back, there's a picture of me she, seeing him in his room with my, my college diploma. And I told him, I said, you know, if you don't feel good enough to do this ceremony tomorrow, cause you have to stand there at attention, you know, while I come down the stairs, it's probably about two or three minutes. But if, if you have lung cancer and you, every yeah. breath hurts bad, yeah. I told him like, it's, it, I don't have to do it or, you know, I'll just have my commander do it. Somebody, so the debate went on all the way up to the time that I was supposed to stand there. <clears throat> I came down the steps and I took a left face and he was standing so tall. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it brings me to tears just to think about how well, like he was standing straight up and down like a redwood tree and rendered this salute. And it's like, you get lost in the moment. Like you forget that you're a part of this moment yeah yeah you want to observe it versus being in it like i just want to watch it 
<laughs> and he gave this really slow salute. And uh, I saluted him back and walked over and uh, hugged him. Mm. And uh, we both, I think, broke down a little bit in that moment. But that's, that's really like my most favorite memory of life. Like period. Period. Because <laughs> like awesome. it, there's no do-overs. It's nothing. There's nothing that that's ever going to be like that special. Because he passed away less than a year after that. So uh, it's like when someone's just holding on for one moment for you. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's something that's beautiful in life that you probably will. It's it's almost impossible to replicate. But you never know. Life's like that. Hopefully there's going to be more. more. Well, I am, I am having a kid in, in March, so I hear that that is a pretty life-changing moment as well. So. Congratulations. That's that's amazing news. Okay. I know you revealed that at, at the Mighty Talk, and it was, mm. that was a great way to end that, that speech, and congratulations on that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know if it's a boy or girl? Or? It's a big old boy. It's a big old boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> I found out we had a gender reveal just recently as well. So um, I, I found out and my doctors were like, your baby's measuring a little big. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need to put down some snack or something. <laughs> what am I doing? I thought, I'm like, I'm exercising. I don't know. It's just a big baby. Yeah. <laughs> He's in there doing push-ups. <laughs> yeah, right? He's like, I'm ready for this. Twenty. <laughs> That's awesome. So. Sherwin, let's let's back up. Let's let's okay. back up. I ask and I I ask everybody this. Uh, whoever comes on board the battle, you know, fourth generation military service, first officer in your family. Let's go back to that first time you said yes. I'm going to raise that right hand and say the oath. Mm-hmm. When did you know that you were going to go in the military? I don't think I ever did. It was never in my plan. I really? Have, yeah, because growing up, the two. The two sons of my, my aunt, the oldest, Dewan, he decided to go into the Marines. So for counting generations, my generation had already checked the block that we went to the Marine Corps. Yeah. And it was my senior year, and I was a jock. I love sports. I was good at soccer and track. And so I wanted to get a sports scholarship to either play, play soccer or do track at Clemson's. I really had my eye on Clemson. But my senior year, I tore my ACL and with a devastating sports injury is your teenager trying to figure out, like, what is my purpose? Because I really thought I had everything mapped out here. Glad I made good grades because maybe my grades are okay. But it wasn't like I was getting a full academic scholarship to Clemson. Mm -hmm. Um, About the same time, we learned that my cousin Dewan had gotten injured after he graduated from Paris Island. They sent him to cold weather training, never been on a pair of skis in his entire life. This country grew <laughs> out there on a mountain in the snow and he, they just put him at the top of the hill and they're like, yeah, just ski to the end. He hit a rock um, and went tumbling down the mountain and he hit his head on something and had a seizure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they medically discharged him. He came home and my granddad and I, and Hopefully, you know, I hate it that there's there wasn't like the education that there is now about, you know, service. If you raise your right hand, you serve one day, you serve. That's and right. My granddad's philosophy at that point was, well, who's next? <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, wait, what? 
<laughs> and me and my cousin Carlos were sitting there like, no, no, see, that's not how this works. Because <laughs> um, he went in and he said, well, he didn't retire. I'm like, he didn't retire. That wasn't so, part of the agreement. So it's not, it's not even, it's not even the four year enlistment. You got to retire. Yeah. Or, he's like, he didn't retire. <laughs> and so um, I'm like, give a man a break. He got a concussion. So <laughs> we, Jeez. we were sitting there, we're, we're in school. We're, we're in high school, like rock, paper, scissors, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and you lost and you lost. Well, I was sitting in class. I was sitting in a math class and um, this kid was, filling out an application and I wasn't paying attention in class. Honestly, I, I was more into my conversation with this, this guy about this paper he was filling out to just take up time. He said, uh-huh. Oh, this is an application, like some sort of military, military stuff. They'll pay for part of school, but you had to do stuff. Like you had to it's like, look at all this stuff you have to check off. Like, did you do volunteer work? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, you mind if I see that? He said, here, you can have it. So he hands it to me and I just erased his answers and I started filling it in to just a pastime for the rest of class. And I walked down the hallway after class was over my uh, guidance counselor. So she had been, you know, counseling me through all this grief of, you know, my sports injury. And she said, what you got there? I was like, some scholarship for military. Oh yeah. You come from a military family, right? Yeah. Well, you mind if I take a look at it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I filled it out. And she turned it in. Mm. So she turned it in and the process was that someone, if you qualify, there would be an active duty person, like a recruiter, who would come and interview you as part of the scholarship application. I'm completely oh, wow. oblivious, not realizing who he is. The guidance counselor comes in and asks me to talk to him about my, you know, my family and, you know, do I love service? It's like, of course I love our servicemen and women. I mean, they're part of my family for four generations or well, for at that point, three generations. Yeah. What, what, about what year, about your, what year was this? It was my senior year. Gotcha. And he, he said, I see you've done a lot of great things. So my mother, she had put me in Girl Scouts. So I'd done Girl Scouts since kindergarten. I did sports. I, I volunteered with Salvation Army. So my mother had always kept me involved, whether I wanted to be or not. I was that kid who was always fully booked. So I had a lot that I could write in that application. We just went through some of the things that I wrote. And he said, I, you know, I'm really impressed by you, young lady. I'm like, well, thank you, sir. I did not realize he was letting me decide on a full ride. Oh, my gosh. So I got invited to the end of year. I found out I got accepted by Clemson. And I'm just preparing myself mentally for I'm about to have massive amounts of student loans. I'm going to go to Clemson, yeah. but I got to pay for it with financial aid. Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't get accepted to something like Clemson and not go. Right. <laughs> I'm going. So yeah. they they invited me to the end of year award ceremony for people who had gotten scholarships, and I had won like a five hundred dollar J.C. Penney award for my books for one semester, and I'm mm. like, why would they invite me for that? <laughs> and it was, bring your parents. It was like mom. So mom and I were sitting in the back, like you know, I don't know. Mom, mom, mom come watch me win five hundred dollars. Yeah. Like so, I mean, why did they bring us? Out? I don't know. And we sat there all night as they called all these names, and they said, and then the last two awards are two full 
cool rides, military scholarships. And I was really shocked because the first name was the student council president who was a friend of mine. I didn't even know he wanted to go into the military. Yeah. He, he got a full Air Force scholarship. And they said, and the last one is uh, Sherlinda. I was, and you know, it's kind of like a price is right moment. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get up, start jumping up and down? My mom. Oh my God. She just lost it. My mother lost it. She was jumping, hollering, praising the Lord. He's, yeah, my baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> We're holding each other. And they're like, come down here to the stage. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I think a lot of people were shocked because, I mean, it wasn't like I was talking to people about it. I hadn't even given it a thought. So, yeah, that's amazing. And, so, and there, there you go. And there, um, and you started, started your career in your mighty talk. You also talked about, uh, about the big question. Mm -hmm. Why are you here? Yeah. Talk to me about the time that you, uh, that you realized that you knew why you were here. A lot of, a lot of, uh, crazy stuff happened in this past year. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes hardship teaches you what's important to you. And that's, yeah. you know, that part of the mighty talk where I said, you know, transparency was the theme of 2000, you know, the, of that year. And I realized the, the demise of my marriage and to have to try to run my company from D.C. when my company's in Ohio and I was in a near fatal car accident and just a lot of stuff happened in one year and a lot of people would have described all of those moments as rock bottom. And I realized that if you really, what has helped me get through several instances of rock bottom, which is this belief that it's bigger than me. I, I, care about my family family is everything to me and i'm doing this because i have a legacy to fulfill that is my perception of why i was given this recipe for this sauce from my grandfather and you know i'm sure many people have been given a piece of paper in their life but they didn't come up with a conclusion like that but how share how this came to you how the, how the the business started and, and how the, you, you talked about this piece of paper from your grandfather. Mm -hmm. How did that, you know, for those that don't know, how did that come about? Yes. So the company that I, I have is called Mutt's Sauce and it gets its name from my grandfather's call sign when he was active duty was Mutt for his ability to blend in anywhere. Ah. So he was also very passionate about food, like specifically condiments. He thought people were really wasteful. We, w we didn't have a whole lot of in our refrigerator. He really had this big mason jar of this concoction that he had made uh, that was a, a combination of all of his, his favorite flavors and spices. So he mixed them all together over a period of, you know, country folk. They're, they're my grandmother's like, over a hundred times. So he tried many times to get to this recipe, finally came up with the final recipe in 1956. So that's how long it's been in my family. Oh, wow. And everybody knew about it. It didn't really have a name. It was just his sauce. It wasn't even called Mutt's sauce. It was just the sauce. And gotcha. yeah, so 
when he passed away, you know, we're mourning a great man, but also we didn't realize this is a main staple in our family. This is something that affected our everyday life. It's a food product and it's affecting us because nobody knows how to make it because he didn't tell anybody and he didn't write it down. So imagine eight years passing by after he's, he's gone. He, he passed away in 2005. By this point, I was on active duty. I was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. I loved being in the military. I had my own plan for my life, what I was going to do. I'm going to be, I'm going to retire. <laughs> you know, so you were doing the 20 years. Yeah, I'm going to do 20 years. He said it. And it's, it's weird. <laughs> the person can be gone from this earth and still tattoos in your brain. I can, I can, can completely relate to that. <laughs> completely. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do 20. I got to retire. So. <laughs> That was my plan. And then I remember eating something just offhand. I, I called my mom. I was like, you know, it's a shame this man didn't leave behind that recipe because this meal would taste a whole lot better. And I was just lamenting about not having it. And she said, well, I meant to give you something. He told me to give you something. And I met up with her, went back to see her, and she handed me an envelope. And I opened it up, and it was his handwriting, one piece of paper with the original recipe. Wow. And I just looked at her. I said, You've how long have you known this? And she's like, about eight years. Why did it take eight years? Seven, eight years. Why do you think it, it took that long for that recipe to come to you? He had Why'd your mom five have? children. And you know, my mom was the oldest daughter of the five. And what I didn't know was that, you know, it's it was almost functioning like a monarchy. Like there is a hierarchical like if he passed away, there's the expectation that the oldest son's going to get this, that the daughter's going to get that, like in, in yeah. rank order. And it was a big deal when he passed away and she was the executor of the will. And it was just like, and we're done. And like, no conversation about the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. But everybody, she said, I realized in that moment with my brothers and sisters that this is a big deal. And then one of his sons was a chef and he was starting a restaurant and one of the, like the recipes in the menu were centered around the sauce and he didn't mm. leave him the sauce. I'm like, you know, it's almost like I'm the obvious pick. I'm the chef. So no. Okay. <laughs> so none of his children, not the first two grandsons, not the one who risked his life and went into the Marines. The third yeah. grandkid with no explanation. So she said mm. she just didn't know how to have the conversation. So she just didn't say anything. Yeah. And I was like, so you wait eight years and you're going to hand it to me. And what am I supposed to do? She's like, I don't know what you're going to do. Interesting. So you figure it out for yourself. But I figured it was, that was my moment to say, this is not just a sheet of paper. This is, has to be bigger because it means a lot to the family. This has affected so many people. And how can I make this something that they all walk away feeling good and feeling con reconnected with him? Yeah. That's what started my journey into seeking out someone who could teach me how to, how to transform this piece of paper into something. Got you. Do you watch Game of Did you watch Game of Thrones when it first came out? I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. No. 
Well, I'm going to say you, you, the way you mentioned legacy in a way, it made me think of a, of a character in that show. His name was Tywin Lannister, ah. how he, how he thought of a legacy of his last name of his family. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, and he's kind of a villain in the show, but that's, that's what drove him mm-hmm. was, was legacy of his family. What does, what does family legacy? And you talk about it all the time. What does family legacy mean to you? It's, it's just, you know, I think that there's a, a quote that I really love. It's by Seneca. And it says, there's no joy in anything unshared. So I, I, and my, and my grandfather is another quote. He says, humility will take you farther than money. So I combine two of my now favorite quotes because it's, it's not, your life is not about you. Everything that you amass, your knowledge, your money, your things, it's, it's not purely for you. It's to be passed on. Your knowledge is supposed to be passed on. Your lessons learned supposed to be passed on to somebody. Yeah. And that otherwise not, otherwise you're forgotten. Yeah, like what what were you here for? Or how yeah. how would anybody even known that you were here? Was was it important? And I, I I think of it sometimes maybe your life was just a a part of a big puzzle. You know, that's part of my faith is I think your life is like a game of chess. You can't see the whole board, but what you're doing is important part of this whole plan. Yeah. And if you sit there and hoard everything to yourself, you're not doing a, a service to the great and good plan. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it doesn't have to be uh, you know, uh, my kid. And I'm, you know, I personally, I did always want to be a mother, but I would look <laughs> at it as even the, the kids and our peers that we mentor, that those are opportunities to pass something along. Yeah, absolutely. 100, 100%. Especially... You know, if you quote it back to the military, it could even be with some of your young troops if you're mentoring some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think if you if you had that effect on someone in the military, you still have that that want or that need to want to mentor somebody even after you get out. Yeah. You know, in your talk, well, you know, you, you're talking about shifting from a 20 year career to create a legacy with this sauce. How hard of a decision was that for you? And what was the impetus to take that leap, leap of faith? A lot was happening in that moment. I don't know if I covered it all in my mighty talk, but there was a lot going on personally and professionally that made the leap very clear. And I think, you know, again, with my faith, I think that's what happens is if you're a, if, <laughs> like, I'm thinking like, God knows I'm stubborn. He knows I'm stubborn. <laughs> I'm hard headed. And if I've, made up my mind it takes a lot to change it so what i see that he does in my life is he shuts down all other options um, ah. was that option shut down for you that 20-year career yes so in 2015 it was the first time that i had really actually cared about my personal life i'm a female hard charging airman I had really great records. I was really proud of what I had accomplished on active duty. And I was in a relationship pretty much from the third day that I was in the military. But it was getting serious now. (laughs) It was like, this relationship is now getting serious. We had tried to be in the same location. I remember very fondly Air Force 
told us that we don't we do joint we do joint spouse relationships. We don't do joint lust relationships. That's the exact quote. Wow. And I said, what does that mean? You have to get married. So y'all are dictating our marriage versus when we want to get married. Okay. Yeah. We will help you if you do it. So we did it. And so my assignment was coming up and I just knew they were going to send me to the same place. This new commander came in and he said, I'm going to stick you on. It's called a source selection. It's a contract review. I'm an acquisition program manager. We review contract. We help with contract awards. We, we manage teams. A, a source selection can take you six months. It could take you a year. Yeah. And they're telling me that they're going to extend my assignment for a year after I've spent six years trying to get in the same location. Wow. You were in contracts and acquisition and all that? Yes. That's what my wife does. Really? Yeah. She, she does it for the Marine Corps right now. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lively career field. <laughs> <laughs> it's delayed gratification, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I hear great stories about acquisition all the time. Mm -hmm. And no program so, is ever the same. So, But I, at this point, I was like, I used to, if the Air Force said, this is what I need, the answer is yes. You get yeah. all of me all the time, all my time. I don't have a life. That was that was basically my career was, Shalina doesn't have a life, Shalina works. And that, so, no, so no balance. There was no, no balance. balance. It didn't exist. It was just all mission. And so now I, I care about having having a family life and having a personal life. And the previous commander was like, we'll try to help you. Just do what they say, get married. And then when it's time for you to go, you can go. New commander comes in. He's like, mission first, people never. <laughs> and you're going to be on this source selection. And that was the biggest moment at the same time. Much sauce was doing better and better. And I said, I could probably do, you know, it was the first time that I was thinking of, you know, the military does not have to be an option. And yeah, my, when I mentioned it to my commander, the more he pushed back and, and said, you know, your personal life is not important. I think the more he got the stubborn side of me. Yeah. That yeah, I think if I've given you guys almost ten years of my life, you can you can do me a solid. So Yeah. So that was that was the decision maker for you to get out? I kept pushing and pushing like there's gotta be a way and, and God was like, Nope. Yeah. There's no way. Yep. There's Got other plans for you. There's not a Got comfortable way plans. out of this. It's always in the uncomfortable realm. Well that's where you grow the most. Mm -hmm. You know? You know, I I had another interview. His name is Carol Harris. He said he he lives to be uncomfortable because oh, yeah. that's where because that's where your growth is. Mm -hmm. Happiness is not being homeostasis. There you it's go. It's going 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 chasing for that next goal. So that's that's in a previous episode. If anybody wants to go check that out, it's the, it's the Carol Harris episode. I like that. Um, now with that leap of faith, there have been a, a lot of accomplishments. Bob Evans, Veteran Owned Business of the Year in 2017. A lot of press. It seems like as soon as I met you. I started seeing everything that you're doing <laughs> and that, and that launch on Amazon. Mm. What's, what's one accomplishment that you want to see for your business or for your legacy, like say within the next five years? 
I either want to own my manufacturing process or I want to have a very good exit with uh, someone I think that could take care of, of mutt sauce and let me be more of a representative. More of a more of a face of the, of the mm-hmm. company than just running the got you. Gotcha. Well, I always get nervous about selling a majority share. That's that's a big conversation I have with many of my mentors because I've seen where it goes bad and you can make a deal. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna give you the majority share, and then they vote you out, and you're you know everything you worked for up until that point is gone, and they've rebranded it. It's no longer recognizable. So that's that's a scary proposition considering where this sauce came from. Well, claim claim it. Mateel, I think his last name is Mateel. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, but he was the CEO founder of IMS Dog Food. Yeah. He has a wonderful think tank here in Ohio. It's in Tip City. I graduated from this course that he offers at Ailerons. The building's called Aileron. Yeah. The course for presidents, CEOs from all over the country to learn about the develop- your development as a CEO. And to talk heavily about what does your future look like? And he personally told me, he's like, you should be thinking about owning your manufacturing. I'm co-packaged, which means I pay someone, a manufacturer, to make mutt sauce. And we contract the price per bottle for them to make it. Got you. But he said the way he was able to have one of the most successful exits in history he was probably like a couple million dollars, maybe ten million dollars. Exited, I'm to Procter and Gamble for two billion. Ooh. Yeah, he owned his manufacturing, and he said there's so much control that you have. And he said if you ever envision yourself becoming a Kraft or Heinz, they started out making ketchup, but then they started acquiring other companies because they owned the manufacturing process. They had the building; they could make other people's products. And then they could warehouse them. Then they were just buying up companies. And that's why they're the big, you know. The big dog. Big dogs now. He said, so that that is how they did it. If you're constantly paying another manufacturer, you're not going to get there. He said, but if you decide one day that you're going to just bite the bullet, he said, it's expensive. You know, that's the part. You might need some investors not, you know, who don't own the majority, but some investors you can throw in a couple million dollars. And yeah get the manufacturing going but ohio is great for it's a great state to do food manufacturing a lot of big companies are here kroger's here mcdonald's tests out a lot of their products here because there's so many demographics in ohio college town military retirees you know so you if it they say if you survive ohio you can survive anywhere very good very good hey i I think you were i think you just answer this question. I was going to ask you about one thing that you would share with potential entrepreneurs that are about to make that transition from the military. I think you kind of, you know, if you, what would you say, what would you, would you keep on that route that you about owning your manufacturing or is there something else that you'd like to, to share with those potential entrepreneurs that are just now getting out of the military? I would tell them to, I actually own another company called Otase where I consult small food businesses, but the motto with Otaste is sharpen the axe. My actual leap into entrepreneurship wasn't until October of 2018 because I was working as a defense contractor to make up the difference between what Mutt Sauce made to cover my operational costs 
and you know it was covering operational costs but wasn't covering my personal life and that was something that i you know i the year of transparency in 2019 was letting people know it's you have to make a ton of money in sales for the average american especially anybody to be able to cover their their company and their personal expenses and and still be sane yeah, and still be sane. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, because even my my friends are like, "You are grinding. We've never seen you grind so hard in my life, in, in in our life." Because it was that realization that even with savings, even with the savings that I had, where Mutt Sauce was going, the operational cost one manufacturing run was costing me forty thousand dollars. Okay. Oof. Yeah. And if you can run through $40,000 in about a month and a half, what job gives you for, you know, yeah. you make $40,000 every month and a half. So you had to, you had to know exactly how you were going to cover costs because you have a manufacturing bill, but the stores and your clients don't owe you that money automatically in retail they have net 60 net 90 net 100 yeah that means you yeah. have a long time before they can pay you for that so for now you're and, out of pocket 40 grand wow and and they don't you know they see entrepreneurship they're like oh it's so sexy look they're by a bugatti they're like standing there by the ocean like no <laughs> <laughs> It's some YouTube commercials with that guy. He's like, "Hey, check out my check out my Audi." Right, right. Or like, you know, God bless him, Ty Lopez. Here's my mansion. Look at my mansion. No, it's not like that. They're not not for everybody anyway. Self actualization cannot happen if you get consumed by other people's expectations. Mm, yes. You said that. Yes. When did you realize that for yourself? When I realized that my my adult life, I had been basically appeasing everyone. I thought that I was that, you know, I am headstrong. I do have plans that I want, but there were a lot of things that were, were sabotaging my goals because I wasn't doing it for the right reason. I was doing, I was either doing it to appease someone's, someone else's desires. In my personal life, I was catering not to someone's heart i was catering to someone's insecurities and the, all of that combined if there's multiple people that you're doing that it's cluttering your mind and you and your ability to have a clear vision and your ability to to really walk in your purpose and your ability to take the time to get to know yourself all you are is a reflection of everybody else's desires so even like when i was supposed to to transition at the air force there's so many tears like i i think i spent hours on the phone talking to my mother crying because i felt like a disappointment for even thinking of getting out and he said, i think a lot of us, i think a lot of us have that feeling mom's like how do you disappoint a man who's passed on I don't know, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. You think he's looking down on you. You know, a lot of my thoughts were there. There were hypothetical situations that I was allowed, allowing to cloud my mind 
and influence my decisions. They didn't exist. I was the one who had created them. So when did you when did you stop living for other people or living for other people's ex- expectations? It was the demise. Was it was the demise of my marriage. Yeah. Gotcha. It was um, November two thousand seventeen, and so you know it was ten years of my life, and I was in a military a mill mill relationship. And if you call us high performers, we were both high performers. We were two of those people who had had number one strats our entire career. And, you know, the decision to walk away was a decision that no one on earth would probably agree with or even understand. So, but I felt like if I stay, I'm never going to know who I am. I can understand, I can understand that. Yeah. I was never going to know. And, and I was, I think I was going to lose respect for myself, which, which was tough. Like it was a, you know, how much do I respect myself and how much do I know myself? And if I say that I believe in a certain thing, staying or going will either say that I truly do believe that, or I don't really care. Yeah. And and that was tied in with my core values at at the time too. So. Gotcha. It was a really tough decision. And there's a lot of people, especially when you're a couple, there's people who they're, they're comfortable. They're comfortable. Oh, we love this situation. We love each other in, in, in relationships, whether it's a long-term relationship or a marriage, there's a lot of people involved. Um, oh yeah. Families, friends. Yeah. Everybody. So I'm like, I'm about to uproot everybody's life. And there's some people who are going to call me selfish because I'm disrupting their harmony but can I live with myself? That was a self-actualization. What does it come down to? I have standards. I care about how I'm treated. I care about, of course. Oh, I, you know, there's a foundation of who, who I am that I tell people publicly that it needs to be true privately too. You're the, you're the second person I've had on the show, Benjamin Breckheimer, the, the recent, it was a recent episode back in the archives, he talked about his divorce and he had a very poignant story of, of his own self-actualization. She left him during his recovery from an IED mm. in the middle of, in the middle of, you know, his, his four-year recovery. And that dude just started climbing mountains. He wanted to be the first Purple Heart recipient to climb the seven summits of the world. Wow. And Yeah. And when he started... He, he admitted he wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it to, to prove something to her. Right. Wow. So he kept his, he kept that ring around his neck until he got, he's like, he, his goal was to throw it off of Mount Everest. And what he did was he didn't even make it to Everest. As soon as he climbed his first summit of the world, Mount Elbrus, he then realized that he was doing this for himself and he ripped it right off and threw it off the mountain. Oh, wow. And, he did it at <laughs> so, first point. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get a chance, listen to that one. I think there's a lot of parallels between you and him. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, everything that people were seeing manifest between 2018 and 2019 was just stop listening to the noise and and live your life for you. Even down yeah. to my baby, because 
you know, most people would be, especially coming from the Bible Belt, Southern country girl, this is, yeah. this is backwards, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I was so amazed that when I was, I just boldly was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a single mother and I'm still doing this. And then everybody's like, it's the happiest thing. You know, my mother is on cloud nine. She keeps buying baby stuff. I'm like, you were the person that I thought would be my biggest critic. And for a long time, I was like mulling over this decision thinking, you know, in fear of, you know, what would you think? But the moment that I was like, no, I'm just going to do it because this is, this is what I want to do. Very well. Sharon, is there, is there one thing that you learned in service that you apply to what you're doing today? Humility is ingrained in what we do. And my grandfather, when he told me humility will take you farther than money. I can see that even in the years that I served, I can see it now. I see in anything that our country is struggling with, we can tie it to me to humility. Our oath at the end, it's, you know, so help me God is the acknowledgement that as, as great as we are, we can be the greatest war fighting force. We could be the best airman, soldier, sailor, Marine, Coastie. We could be the most powerful people. But there's mm. in that oath, it is a reminder that you're not there's some some something bigger than you. And that is when I made my speech at Mighty Talk, I said when you believe in something bigger than yourself, rock bottom has a trampoline. You'll never hit rock bottom. But they have to start out with that humility of knowing that there's something out there bigger than yourself. And it's taken me far. And and it seems like a simple concept, but I've I've just watched, you know, we're watching the news, we're watching everything that's going on all over the world. And it's like, where is the humility? Where's the acknowledgement of humility and and the power of it and the value of it? I, I, I would love to see people have more conversations around values. I want to do my part to be a part of the focus and to stay focused on stuff like that. I remember remarking the other day, I said, um, one of the best days in America was after the most tragic day because it was 9-12. Yeah. And I remember where I was on 9-12. I was in college, but my roommate, her boyfriend was a Marine and he was one of the first ones sent out. And and Mm. there were not enough Kleenexes and we're watching the TV. And all the chatter in school the next day on 9-12 was, you know, we're American and here's, you know, we're coming together and we're going to support our troops who are getting shipped out. And we were talking about care packages and, you know, how to, how to help them when they get back home and what we can do here. And there were so many things that did not matter on 9-12. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. There, there is one thing that, that brought us together. We were American. We are American today. That is all that matters today. And it was, it was, you know, it's like a cathartic feeling that you're in this like almost a twilight zone moment in history where nobody cared. And that is when I think we showed our true strength. And the sad part about it was, I was like, it took someone from outside of our borders 
to tell us we're American. I loved 9-12 and yeah. hope that it doesn't come at the expense of another 9-11. You know, I, I think we should talk more about 9-12 as far as our generation. You know, I don't think it gets talked about enough. We always talk about 9-11. You know, but then you got kids. You now you think about when when nine twelve happened for you. You were in college. Mm-hmm. The kids that are in college now, for them that was like Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Is how we think about Vietnam. Yeah. You know, it kind of for me, it, it kind of blows my mind. Like, you know, people that were going that were just now joining the military in two thousand one, they're about ready to retire now. Mm-hmm. If if they're doing if they're doing twenty, yeah. if they're on grandpa's if they're on grandpa's twenty year plan, <laughs> you know, yeah. Sherilyn, is there anything else that I might have missed? that you would like to share as like maybe a parting shot to the listeners? Well, I think we covered a a lot. I just want to say thank you too for what you're doing because things like this, they build awareness. I can't wait to go back and listen to all the other episodes that we've talked about. And and it really does help people stay connected. Podcast help people stay connected and know that there are other people out there with similar struggles or going through kind of the same thing. It's just been a remix a little bit because, everybody's life path is different but you provide a sense of camaraderie that i definitely appreciate my grandfather served in world war ii spending time with him were the best memories of my life i became a physician at va because of my grandfather so i can help others like him i can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. What a great story of turning a family recipe into a powerhouse of a business. For more information on Charlinda and her story, and again, we as VA do not endorse any non-government entity. Hope that uh, hope that satisfies the lawyers. But if you want more information on Sherlinda or Mutt Sauce, you can visit muttsauce, M-U-T-T-S-A-U-C-E dot com forward slash pages forward slash about. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is Air Force veteran Thomas N. Barnes. And, and this comes from our one of our veterans of the days for this month. The Air Force was still segregated in April 1949 when Thomas Barnes arrived in Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, for basic training. He received his technical training from the Aircraft and Engine School and Hydraulic Specialist School at Chanute Technical Training Center, Illinois. I hope I'm saying that right. By 1949, the Air Force had not yet desegregated all of its units. For his first duty assignment, Barnes deployed to Ayasha, Aisha, Japan, with the 4th Troop Carrier Squadron in support of the Korean War. Barnes was one of the first African-American members. During this assignment, he completed on-the-job training as a flight engineer. As a result of low unit manning, Barnes performed duties expected of both a flight engineer and a, and a hydraulic specialist. He also attended C-118 school in Westover Air Force Base in Massachusetts. He wanted to complete assignments in various locations, including Texas, Hawaii, Japan, and the Northeast Air Command. In December 1966, Barnes then deployed to Southeast Asia, where he served in multiple positions with the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing. His roles included non-commissioned officer in charge of the Repairable Processing Center, senior controller, and non-commissioned officer in charge of maintenance control. 
He was promoted to the rank of Chief Master Sergeant three years later. In 1971, Barnes served at Headquarters Air Training Command and assumed the duties of Command Senior Enlisted Advisor. Afterwards, he was soon appointed the Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force on October 1st, 1973. Barnes retired from that position on July 31st, 1977. Barnes was the first African American to serve in the highest enlisted position within the Air Force. He is credited for bringing issues related to equal opportunity for minorities to the attention of senior military leaders. He also worked to strengthen the enlisted professional military education system. During his service, Barnes received a Legion of Merit, Meritorious Service Medal with Oak Leaf Cluster, Air Medal, Air Force Commendation Medal, and was the Outstanding Airman of the Year. Sadly, Barnes died on March 17, 2003, at the age of 72. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode of Born the Battle. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you absolutely can. Email us at podcast at va.gov. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, RallyPoint. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.